Welcome to the teaching podcast for Eubank Baptist Church. We are all about knowing more about Jesus and inviting others to do the same. We would love for you to join us on our campus on Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.45 and Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This podcast is a place that you can listen to any teachings that you might have missed from our Sunday morning worship experiences. To stay connected, you can check out our website at www.eubankbaptist.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eubank Baptist Church and Instagram at Eubank underscore BC. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and let's keep pursuing Jesus together. It's great to be back with you this morning. I don't know about you, but I would just rather have that praise team come back up here and sing for about another hour. I think I mentioned last time I was here that uh, I have no musical talent at all. I cannot play any instruments, I cannot play any, uh, I can't play the radio without static, you know, that's, that's how little uh, music talent I have, and <clears throat> I think I mentioned when I was here last that I saw that God gave all these folks all this talent, and there wasn't any left over to give to me, so now <laughs> I, I know where it all went. I sure appreciate the wonderful, uh, the hymns in the early service, I grew up on those hymns, I love those, and I love the the music we just heard from the praise team. What a way uh, to get going. I think it's just incredible. Uh, we sang one of the old hymns this morning, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. And uh, I got to thinking about the words of that hymn, and I mentioned that uh, the Lord will provide everything we need. And, and I was excited to hear uh, this morning from the search team that they have a, pers- a prospective pastor for you. And that's uh, great news, and that's something I'm excited to hear about. It's just wonderful. Uh, it's always exciting in the, in the transition time of a church when you hear uh, that report from the, from the pulpit team, from the search team, that they have that prospective pastor. So I'm excited about that, excited to see who that person's going to be and how the Lord uh, leads in that endeavor. I've been praying for you since I was here last, and I just really appreciated the time I had here. It felt like old home week. So many people here uh, that I know. And uh, I've worked with a lot of churches in interim uh, periods in the past, so I knew that uh, this could be a very tough time in the life of any church. So I've been praying for you and and just seeking the Lord with you and and just praying that His will be done. And this next step as a, 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 a perspective, those two big P's, perspective pastor, uh, comes to be uh, presented to your church. So I'm excited about that. I'm thankful for that. So this morning, <clears throat> I'm going to be preaching on the subject of the value of a good report. We live in a society today that almost seems like it's driven by negative reports, right? If you watch the news, if you watch, uh, uh, listen to the radio, if you read the newspaper, and I don't know if anybody even reads the newspaper anymore. Does anybody read the newspaper anymore? Yeah, a couple people. But anywhere you look, it's bad news. Bad news all over the place. Bad news and gloom and doom and and the skies falling everywhere we look. But I'm going to talk to you this morning about the value of a good report. We're going to be in Numbers this morning. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Way back in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We're not going to read all the verses in both of those chapters, but we're going to hit on several of them. Uh, So Numbers chapters 13 and 14, 
I'd like you to turn there just so we can reference those verses as we go along. Numbers 13 and 14, once you find your place there, mark it, because we're going to come back to it in a minute, and we're going to read some verses there. And once we've read those verses, and once we've spent that time here, we'll know that we've been in God's presence. Amen? Because this is God's Word. The Greek word is theonoustos, which literally means God's breath. This is God's breath to us. It's the lamp to our feet. It's the light to our path. It's the word that we hear behind us saying, this is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. It's God's guidebook to life. It's His great gift to us. And we're excited to look into it this morning. Numbers 13 and 14. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version here real quick. I asked the question in the early service, how many of you know what I'm talking about when I say the Reader's Digest version? You know, that number gets smaller and smaller, especially as I speak to younger and younger uh, congregations. People are like, what's Reader's Digest? I have no idea. Uh, sometimes some of the older high school kids or college kids will know Cliff's Notes. So I'll say, here's the Cliff's Notes uh, version of it. But just in a nutshell, this is the account of the 12 spies that Moses had sent into the land of Canaan. These 12 men spent 40 days there, and then they came back and reported to Moses and Aaron what they had saw. Upon their return, these 12 men had essentially divided into two distinct groups. Ten of the men came back, and they presented a skewed interpretation of what they saw. These ten men probably worked for some groups like CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, or some of these other outlets where you get a skewed version of the facts. They attempted to twist the facts and they gave what the Bible calls an evil report. An evil report of what they saw. Now I'm going to say this and I want you to listen. There is good and evil in the world. There always has been, there always will be, until Jesus comes back, there will be evil in the world. We live in a time today where society tries to equivocate everything and say, well, there's really no such thing as bad. Because what's right for you may not be right for me, and what's bad for you may be good for me. But the Bible teaches that there's emphatic truth, there's absolute truth. <clears throat> so when these 12 spies that came back from spying out the land, the 10 uh, spies gave an evil report. Now technically, right, technically, their report was accurate. It had some accuracy in it. But it had a, an agenda. It had a lack of faith. It showed a lack of faith in what God had told them many, many years ago. In chapter 37 of Numbers chapter 15, the Bible labeled it an evil report. The Bible didn't just say that they... They, they told a little different version, or maybe they had their own interpretation of the facts. The Bible said it was an evil report. So that was ten of the twelve men. <clears throat> the remaining two men brought back a good report, announcing that the land was just as God had said it was. Caleb and Joshua were these two men, and they came back, and they were convinced that God was faithful to His promise. They were convinced that the land was going to be exactly what God told them it was going to be. And they went and they saw that and they came back and they reported it. He got back and he got the attention of all the people and he gave a good report. We'll read in detail here in just a few minutes, but Caleb said, By all means we should go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome the land. That's the value of a good report. Caleb believed exactly what God had told them. 
As Christians, we're called to be people who stand up for our faith and for God. Caleb and Joshua, in this instance, did that in dramatic fashion. This example from Numbers will highlight their bold stand and God's resulting favor on them. They had a lot of people against them. It wasn't just the other ten spies. It was the whole congregation, as we'll read here in just a minute, that was against them. But they were standing up for what was right. Now I pray that this good report that Caleb and Joshua gave will also encourage all of us here this morning to embolden our faith We'll stand up and we'll give a good report even when there's all this negativity around us. I'm going to read some verses here in just a second, but before I do, let's just make sure that that, that we're all on the same page of what's happening. The Reader's Digest version again. God had freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. They'd been in slavery in Egypt for how long? About 400 years, right? A long time. So Moses had went to the Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, and he led the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They went across the Red Sea. They wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years on the way to the Promised Land. Now I'm going to look and I don't see anybody over 40, right? Anybody here over 40? Oh, there's Kenny. He's way over 40. 40 years. I'm way over 42. Forty years they wandered around in the desert on the way to this promised land. So all kinds of things happened in those 40 years as Moses led the Israelites around. The Israelites were poised to enter into the promised land that God had promised over 400 years ago through a covenant with Abraham. At this point, Moses sends those 12 spies, including Caleb and Joshua, into the land to see what they were up against. The spies come back after scoping out the land. Excuse me, and they give their report. Now this was going to be a military operation, right? They went over into that promised land to gather some intelligence. And for my fellow veterans here, you understand that in order to have a successful military operation, you need good intelligence, right? So Moses sent those guys into the promised land to gather that intelligence. They came back. Ten of the men gave an evil report. Two of the men gave a good report. Now, the value of that good report is what we're going to look at this morning. And that's what's happened by the time that we pick up in Numbers, beginning in chapter 13 and verse 25. I mentioned to the early service that I'm just getting used to wearing glasses. Remember, I'm over 42. It happens to the best of us, right? And sometimes I forget to put my glasses on and I find myself squinting at the page and then I'm like, well, let's put the glasses on. We won't have to squint. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought uh, back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, <clears throat> we saw the descendants, <clears throat> excuse me, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, 
for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Chapter 14, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder." Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. <clears throat> Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of that land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting, to all the sons of Israel. So the twelve spies returned with a report on the land, and all the spies except Caleb and Joshua found the obstacles in the land too great for the Israelites to overcome. Only Caleb and Joshua believed in God's sovereign power and His ability to deliver the promised land into their hands. Only Caleb and Joshua stood up boldly for what was right. But what did all the other people want to do? Look at verse 10 of chapter 14. But all the congregation. <clears throat> now we don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> all the congregation. We don't know how many people that was, but we know it was everybody. All the congregation took up stones to stone them. If you remember your Bible trivia, when you were stoned, people threw rocks at you till you died. It was a pretty unpleasant thing, right? So they took up stones and they were going to stone them because they were coming back and telling the truth of the Lord. How about that? You stand up for what God has promised. You stand up and you say, here's what God said and we believe it. Well, we're going to stone you. How does that make you feel for standing up for what God told you? In verse 9, Caleb and Joshua were reminding the people that God had promised them the land and would be with them, but they were about to be stoned. We live in that kind of society today, don't we? In large measure. People of faith speak out for their beliefs and they're attacked all around. Called names and all kinds of other things for standing up for what is true. But hey, it's happened all through the Bible, right? They stand up for what God said and God's truth and they wanted to stone them. So here's a few things that we can take away this morning. We've got three points this morning. I've got... Got to, I've got to get back to my Baptist roots, right? Have those three points in a message. 
I get off track a little bit sometimes and I, I, I stray away from the three points, but then I remember it's probably in the bylaws somewhere, right, in most Baptist churches. And I'm just, I'm just fun. And I, it's good to have a structure. It's good to have a way to track and to remember. So number one, when we stand up for what is right, God will stand with us. Look at what happened when Caleb and Joshua stood their ground. They're about to be stoned. But all the, in verse 10, but all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the sons of Israel. God showed up right then. Right at the point when people wanted to take up stones and stone them. Right when the point that the people wanted to kill them, God appeared. In that very same sentence. And I, I wrote it in my Bible. I said, God showed up. They made the stand. They did what was right. They were facing death, but they still didn't back down. And God showed up. God's going to be with us when we stand up for His truth. I believe God will do the very same thing for us if we follow Him as wholeheartedly as Caleb and Joshua did. Let's give the good report regardless of the opposition that's against us. And there's quite a bit of opposition around today for people of faith. Let's apply this to Eubank Baptist Church this morning. Interim periods or transition periods. <clears throat> and both those terms mean the same thing. You've probably heard people say both, interim or transition. They mean the same thing. One thing that we do well as Baptists is name things, Right? We'll name something, and then a few years later, we'll change the name. And then you've got people like me who still call it by the old name. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in the Baptist church? <clears throat> so interim transition means the same thing. It can be tough on churches. I've had the opportunity over the past couple of years to work with a number of churches in transition. And I've seen very successful transitions, and I've seen very rocky transitions. Now what happens during the very successful transitions is churches stay on mission, and they stay focused on Jesus. With or without a pastor, a church can stay focused on Jesus. And those churches have the most successful transitions. <clears throat> the churches who have the rockiest transitions are those who took their eyes off of Jesus. 1 Peter 5.8 In 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible says to be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary or your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The enemy will seek to divide churches. This church, all churches. The devil doesn't want churches to be united and single-minded in reaching people for the gospel. And in these churches who've had the rocky transitions, I've found over and over, <clears throat> they weren't on alert. They weren't being sober-minded. They weren't on guard looking for the devil who's, who was prowling around looking for someone to devour. The devil wants to get into churches and he wants to get things mixed up. He wants to get people arguing with each other. Nobody's ever argued with each other in this church though, have they? <clears throat> well, i tell you what, in my church we've argued and we've loved and we've done all kinds of things together. It's things that, that happen in a family, Right? Sometimes in, in the most challenging interim periods, churches will engage in power struggles for control. They're not focused on the mission of the cross. They're not focused on the message of Jesus. They get caught up in power struggles. 
They get caught up in who's going to control this, who's going to control that. And the end result is the work of the gospel is derailed. That happens a lot in churches in transition. However, when churches stand committed to the promises of God, just like Caleb and Joshua did, I'm convinced that you'll see the same kind of divine intervention that Caleb and Joshua did. You notice they didn't waver. They didn't change their mind and say, well, maybe some of what they said was right. They remained committed to the truth. And I believe that when we do that, we remain committed. We'll see that same kind of divine intervention from God. Number two, we should ask God to forgive those who oppose us. That's pretty hard, isn't it? To forgive those who oppose us, to forgive those who wrong us. Let's look at a few more verses. Let's look in chapter 14, beginning in verse 11. Remember in verse 10, the congregation was going to stone Caleb and Joshua for standing up for God's Word. Verse 11 of chapter 14, the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me, and how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your name will say, Because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which He promised them by oath, therefore He slaughtered them in this wilderness. But now, I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, Moses, but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua in verse 10 were getting ready to be stoned. When God showed up and got mad at all the people, they could have been cheering God on, right? They could have been saying, go ahead, God, to do it. Because they were fixing to kill them, right? But what did Moses do? He did what he always did. All through the 40 years in the desert, Moses interceded on behalf of the people to God. And he asked God to pardon them. He asked God to forgive them. God was pretty mad at Israel because they continually refused to believe what he told him. Look at verse 11 and 12 again. This is how serious God is. This is how fed up God is with the nation of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me and how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. 
And I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and mightier than they. God said He was going to smite them with pestilence. He was going to give them a disease. And He was going to dispossess them, which means He was going to send them out. And He wasn't going to be their God anymore. That's how fed up God was with the nation of Israel at that point. He was going to smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. It doesn't get any worse than that, right? God says, here's a disease, and I'm not going to have anything else to do with you. He was tired of it. But Moses did what he always did. Instead of encouraging God to wipe them out, Moses appealed to God to spare them once again. Moses had some practice in doing that, didn't he? Over the 40 years in the wilderness. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus set that same kind of example when he asked God to forgive the people who had just crucified him. In the ultimate act of love and forgiveness. Imagine that. The verse says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now that's a different spirit, right? That's a good report. That is in direct contravention to what we see today in society. Everything we see in society today, in society, in sports, in politics, even in the church, is often not forgiveness. What? It's getting even. I'll get him. I'll get back at him. But Moses and ultimately Jesus showed that we should forgive those people and that we should ask God to forgive them who wrong us. That's the value of a good report, right? Instead of piling on, let's love and let's forgive. Number three, we should live our lives with a different spirit. Look at verse 24 of chapter 14. God is speaking. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. God took great pleasure in Caleb because he had a different spirit. But what does it mean to be different? What does that mean? It means that he wasn't like everybody else, right? I use a, a, a lesson similar to this one when I'm talking to young people and I talk about that, having a different spirit. And if you work with young people like I do, like Brother Kevin does, teenagers, they don't want to be different, right? They want to blend in and they want to go with the crowd and they don't want to be seen sticking out and being different in any way. And I always challenge teenagers to be a Caleb. Be different. Have a different spirit. It means Caleb was different. He wasn't like everybody else. He wasn't going with the flow. Now I know that sometimes it's easier to go with the flow and compromise your beliefs and just, and just blend in. Especially in today's society when there's so much hostility against people of faith when there's so much hostility against absolute truth. If you stand for absolute truth today, you take the risk of being canceled. Right? If you stand up for what's right, we'll cancel you. And we'll tell everybody else to cancel you as well. You'll be canceled. You'll be alienated. You'll be attacked and maligned and marginalized and all other things of that nature. Society tells you that any truth is acceptable. If it's your truth and you believe it, then it's okay for you. That's your truth. Your truth and my truth can both be truth, even if they're different. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. 
The Bible teaches emphatically that God's Word is truth. God's Word is absolute truth. And there's no equivocation. And there's no... uh, What's my next word? Compromising on God's Word. No compromise at all on God's Word. Regardless of what society tells us. Now, Now that doesn't mean when we stand up for God's word and when we forcefully and, 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 and strongly declare the truth of God's word, that doesn't mean we need to do it like the people on the TV news, right? We don't need to stand up and, and argue our point from the scriptures like they do on Fox News. We don't need to stand up and argue our point and defend our position on faith like they do on MSNBC. We don't need to do it that way, do we? Pointing fingers and calling names... Because they, they both do it, right? From both, both ends of the political spectrum. The name calling and the finger pointing and the insults. It comes from both sides. We can stand up for the truth of the scripture with grace and with compassion and with kindness. We can do it without equivocating. We can do it without compromising. But we can do it with grace and we can do it with love. When you get bold and you take a stand for God and you do what's right, You'll gain God's favor just like Caleb and Joshua did. They gave a good report. Let's give that good report and gain God's favor. The value of a good report. I want to put in context just how important this good report was. Just how much value this good report that Caleb and Joshua gave, just how much value it had. God found so much favor in Caleb and Joshua, that they were the only ones who had been in Egypt that were allowed to enter the promised land. You remember that part of the story? Deuteronomy 32, 48 through 52 tells us that even Moses wasn't permitted to enter the promised land because of his sin and his disobedience along the way during the 40 years. So think about that. Moses, was the, he was the key to this, this story, right? He led the the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He's the one that went to Pharaoh and said, let us do this. And he's the one that led them for 40 years. And he's the one that through the Red Sea and the manna and the rocks and the water. And in 40 years, Moses was the leader. But because of his sin along the way, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy, God led him up onto the mountain and he let him look across and see the promised land. But he told him he wasn't going to be able to go into it. But Caleb and Joshua got to go. That's how much favor they found in God's eyes because they stood up for the truth. Do you see what I'm talking about? Do you see how important it is? How important it is to have that good report, to stand up for the truth, even when there's so much opposition around you. Caleb had a different spirit. Joshua had a different spirit. Moses and Aaron had a different spirit. They all stood up. They were individuals. They didn't go along with the crowd. Have you ever considered the impact that your stand for God's word might have on somebody else who needs encouragement to take a stand? Think about that. There could be people sitting around who want to stand up and take a stand for God's word, but they're just not sure. And then they see somebody bold in their faith stand up and take that stand. And they get encouraged to do it as well. So what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to be a Caleb, be a Joshua, 
regardless of what's going on around you, stand up for the truth of God's word. And doubtless others will be encouraged by your stand for the truth. Here's another question. Is it easier to stand up for what's right when you're alone? Or is it easier when you have friends around you that share your values? It's easier when you have people around you that share your values, right? That support you and encourage you. Caleb and Joshua, I'm sure they played off each other, right? They knew they didn't have to agree with the other ten spies. They knew they were right. They knew God's word was true. And they, they gained support and strength from each other. We know that Moses and Aaron operated the same way. We know that, that, Moses, that Aaron was there to help Moses. When we have friends around us who share our values, that's going to help us to stand for our faith more strongly. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's what I tell teenagers all the time. The friends closest into your circle should share your values. For Christian teenagers, the friends closest to you should encourage you in your faith. If the friends closest to you pull you away from Jesus, they don't need to be in your circle. That doesn't mean that they can't be your friend. That doesn't mean that you can't try to be an influence to them, but they don't need to be the ones influencing you. Be the person who encourages others to stand in their faith, just like Caleb and Joshua did. And I would issue the same challenge to Eubank Baptist Church this morning in this interim, in this interim period. Now, I'm excited about the prospect of this, of this new pastor coming. Of course, a lot of things can happen between now and then, but the search team's excited about it. The search team's going to present this candidate, uh, not next Sunday, but the next. Is that right? You know, in, in, in two Sundays. And I'm excited about that. And I'm praying with you that this is the man that God has called. The search team believes it is. And here's the thing. I believe the devil's still going to try to do some work here in Eubank Baptist Church. That if this is indeed the man that God has called to lead you, I think the devil's going to try to throw it off track a little bit. Because he doesn't want a strong and effective pastor leading this church. He doesn't want a strong and effective pastor leading any church, does he? The devil's going to try to throw this off track. But what I want you to do is remain on the course that God has, has charted for you. I want you to stand up for the truth, even though everybody else around is, is doing the wrong thing in society. This church stays centered on God's will for your future. And I'll continue to pray with you. I'll continue to seek God with you. And together, just like Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron, we can all stand together instead of being divided. And instead of letting the devil, we'll keep watch for him and we'll be ready to resist him when he tries to get into this process. And we'll pray that that man comes and that he's the man that God has sent and this church can continue in the mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ right here in Eubank. The value of a good report. Just because everybody around us in society is issuing negative reports, let's issue the good report. Because we see the value of the good report. And one thing I also want to mention this morning is everything we do, whether it's preaching the word, whether it's singing like these folks did so, so capably, it's all to point people to Jesus. If the mission of this church is anything other than winning souls to Jesus, if that's not number one, then, then we're in the weeds. Winning souls for Jesus, number one for any church. Helping them grow closer to Jesus and go and make other disciples, number two, and it all trickles down from there. 
So I think at every church service, there should be an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you say, Kevin, all this sounds good, but I don't know this Jesus, I'd love to tell you how you can meet him this morning. And I know there are others here who would love to tell you how to meet him this morning. This morning, there's a lot of things we can do during this invitation. We can keep praying that God will keep working. We'll keep praying for this search team. We'll keep praying for March 26th when this candidate's presented. And we'll keep praying that this church will lead people to Jesus. And we'll do all that together. You can pray for that during this invitation time. You can pray for that wherever you are. But one thing I want you to know, I'm going to be praying with you because I want to see God's will done in this church. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for a good report. Thank you for the value of a good report. Thank you that we can look in your word and we can see what a good report can give. Thank you for the example from your word that we don't have to, we don't have to compromise. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to equivocate. We don't have to compromise. We can stand for your truth. Lord, I pray for this church as they go into this next phase of <clears throat> the pastor search process that you'll be with them, you'll guide them, you'll help keep them uh, focused on your will for the future of this church so that they can be a lighthouse for Jesus Christ in this community. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you as their Savior, that this will be the morning that they turn to you, that this will be the morning that they confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. Lord, we pray for these things. We pray uh, solely that your will be done, that you be glorified. And we pray in your name. Amen.